You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Hebrews was a book that was written to Jewish believers. Now we have to put our mind and, and, and get ourselves in the right setting so we understand where the scripture is coming from. The Jewish individuals in the early New Testament made up the vast majority of the church. Many of those who were saved on the day of Pentecost were Jews. And uh, as they embarked on this newfound faith, there was a big struggle between going back to Judaism and staying with Christianity. You know, tradition and familiarity has a strong pull on every one of us. Think about it. The great temple stood there in Jerusalem with all of its ornate beauty, and every time they passed by, it would beckon to them and say, come back, come back. The religious rituals with all of their tradition would call to them, come back to Judaism, come back to the old way. The multitude of sacrifices with their sense of accomplishment of, of being able to see visually that something had taken place was beckoning them to come back. They're surrounded by unconverted family and friends and they have those close ties of relationship begging them to come back to Judaism. Now with all of these things pulling on their newfound faith, the Holy Spirit inspired an individual to write the book of Hebrews to answer these questions. Eight times in the book of Hebrews, the writer will refer to the readers as brethren. In other words, eight is the number of new beginnings and he's reminding them that you have a new beginning in Christ. Things have changed. And by the way, there is so much that they have in Christ that is better than what they had. You know, we should forget about thinking about all we left when we got saved and think about all that we received when we were born again. If you go through this book, he'll tell them you've got a better priest, you've got a better sanctuary, you've got a better sacrifice, you're part of a better covenant, you have better promises, there is a better resurrection that you look forward to, and you are the recipient of better blessings. Can I say we gained more in Jesus than we ever gave up to follow him? And when we come to chapter number 10, the writer has been encouraging them. He has been explaining to them all that they have gained in Christ. And Brother Cooper laid it out so well for us last week as he emphasized the fact that now because of salvation, because of the work of Calvary, we have an advocate standing in the presence of God himself to speak on our behalf. You know, Peter will write in 1 Peter and he'll say, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word adversary literally speaks of an opponent in a courtroom. Peter is saying, there is a courtroom, there is a judgment bar, and you have an adversary standing to accuse you and bring up things against you. And by the way, 
I know the devil is the father of lies, but when he stands and he accuses us, that's one time when the truth is bad enough. He doesn't have to make anything up. But oh, aren't you glad that not only do we have an adversary, but we have an advocate. There is someone there to speak on our behalf. And every accusation that the devil brings, our advocate has to say not one word. He just simply lifts his hands. And the judge looks and he sees those prints and he says, it's been satisfied, the debt has been paid, it's canceled, they're clear, they're free to go. I look at them as never having sinned at all. They've been justified. We come to chapter number 10. The writer is reminding us of the blessings that we have been recipients of. In verses 1 through 10, he will remind us that we have a wonderful Redeemer. Notice he talks about the sacrifice that has been offered, how Christ offered himself. And he says this, verse number 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Aren't you glad that it is finished? Then he reminds us of this wonderful redemption that we enjoy in verses 11 through 14. In verse number 11, he says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had one, uh, offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then in verses 15 through 18, he gives them this welcome reminder he says here in verse number 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Oh, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing that they'll never be brought up against us again? But then he tells us, yes, you have a wonderful redeemer. You have a wondrous redemption. There is a welcome reminder, your sins and your iniquities, those are all taken care of. But with the blessings come weighty responsibilities. See, in verse 19, he reminds us of our privilege, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Look at our provision by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And he reminds us of our priest and having an high priest over the house of God. Now notice, here's our scripture text. Verse number 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here's what the writer says. He says, in light of all that has been given to us, in light of all the blessings, in light of all the benefits, in light of all that has been provided for us, now here is our responsibility. Let us, let us, let us. 
And tonight I want to speak to you for a few minutes on the responsibilities of the blessed. I want you to notice in verse number 22, number one, we have the responsibility of maintaining closeness. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How tragic it is that we have access, that we have the advocate, and yet we often fail to take advantage. And the writer says we have a responsibility. It is my responsibility as a believer in light of all that has been provided for me, in light of all that has been done for me. I have a personal responsibility to maintain closeness with God. Let us draw near. Notice the manner of this closeness. It involves a transparency. Let us draw near with a true heart. Can I just say we cannot fool God. We may fool one another. We may make people think one thing when really something else is true. But if we're going to draw close to God, we're going to have to come with a true heart. We're going to have to be transparent with God. We're going to have to acknowledge our shortcomings, our failures. We're going to have to acknowledge our need of Him. We must come with a true heart. Not only does it involve transparency, but it involves a trust in full assurance of faith. Could I just say this? Sometimes we're hesitant to be honest with others because we fear that they will not accept us. Oh, but could I just say God knows the worst about us? And he sent his son to down the cross. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Could I just say, if, if he loved us that much then, how much more must he love us now? We can come with transparent hearts. We can come honestly before him, acknowledging our shortcomings and our needs, knowing with full assurance that he has made us accepted in the beloved. Notice not just the manner of our coming, but notice the mandate. What does it require? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now remember, he's writing to Jewish believers. So in their mind, they're thinking of this temple. They're thinking of coming in. They're thinking of all that is required. And he talks about this washing. First of all, there is a redemptive washing. He said that we have to have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That would speak of our conversion. Could I just say tonight, if we're going to draw close to God, we're going to have to acknowledge that we need Him as our Savior. Amen. You cannot make close fellowship with God. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And God has told us in His Word that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That neither is there salvation in any other, for there's another name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so we have to come and we must be born again if we would draw close to God. But while many of us have experienced this redemptive washing, we have to understand that it requires a repeated washing if we would be close. And our bodies washed with pure water. Remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. Jesus says this in John 13, 8, if I wash thee not, 
thou hast no part with me. You know how we're made clean? We're made clean through the washing of the water of the Word of God. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't like to be dirty. Physically dirty. If I think that I might be dirty, I just go ahead and take a shower and stave it off, you know. I, I mean, three showers a day, that's fine. Four a day. You say, but what about the water? I would rather pay a water bill than stink. Some of you may need to take that lesson. One thing about, one, one great thing about not going to camp is you don't have to, especially junior camp, you don't have to live with junior campers. You know, their, their philosophy is a bottle of cologne or a bottle of Axe, and that covers a multitude of sins. Well, that might work on Monday and Tuesday, but by Thursday and Friday, you need more than that. You need a repetitive washing. Could I just say sometimes if we're not careful, we think that of our spiritual life. We think, well, you know, I can just cover it up and I can just do this and I can just do that and it'll all be okay and nobody will know. Could I just say we cannot come into the presence of God without that repetitive washing and keeping ourselves clean? Now notice the writer says, let us. That means it's my responsibility. It is my responsibility to draw close and if I would draw close, if I would maintain that closeness, then I must do what is required. Not only do I have the responsibility of maintaining closeness, but I want you to notice, secondly, he says in verse number 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. You see, because of all that God has done for me, because of all the blessings that I have received, I have a responsibility of maintaining closeness, but I also have a responsibility of maintaining or, or manifesting commitment. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Could I just say this? If what we believe doesn't affect how we behave, then we must not really believe it very much. What you believe affects how you behave. Could I just say, I, I, I am firmly persuaded, I am fully persuaded that snakes are evil. By the way, I've never been snake bit. You say, why not? Because I don't get closer than a reach of a hoe handle or a rifle shot or a shotgun blast. I mean, if I think there's a snake in the area, I'm going forearmed and prepared. I, there was a snake one time we lived out in the country and there was a snake in our barn and Sam could validate this story. And uh, I finally got him out of the rafters and down. And, and when he was up there, I got my, my phone out and I zoomed in as close as I could. And I, I mean, I was, I mean, he'd had to strike five times to get me. That's how far away I was. But I zoomed in on it. I sent a picture to a man in my church and I said, is this good or bad? Now I knew it was bad because it's a snake, but I just didn't know if it was venomous or non-venomous. And he texted me back and he said, I'm not sure. That is the wrong answer. I got that snake down. I had a hoe that had a hickory handle that big around. I took one swipe at that snake and snapped that hoe handle in half. That's how much force I use. I chopped that snake into itty bitty pieces. I smeared the blood all over the grass. The boy said, what's that for? I said, that's a warning for every other snake that comes in the area. There's snake blood here. This is dangerous territory. I need to keep moving. Could I just say, I hate live snakes. I hate dead snakes. I hate real ones. I hate fake ones. I hate plastic ones. I hate rubber ones. I hate venomous. I hate non-venomous. 
I mean, the first time I read about a snake in the Bible, it was trouble ever since, and I'm just staying away from it. Now, you can be a snake handler if you want to, but I'm not in that crowd. You know why I behave the way I do? Because of what I believe. Could I just say, if we claim that we believe this book, should it not affect how we behave? We have a responsibility to manifest commitment. You know, notice what he says. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. What is he talking about, the profession of our faith? Well, think about our profession. Our profession was made verbally at salvation. For with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And there was a point in time in your life when you cried out verbally and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge that you were on your way to hell, deservedly so, but that Christ had died in your place. And you verbally asked Him, implored Him to be your Savior and to wash you and make you clean. That is our verbal profession. Then, following our verbal profession, we made a visible profession when we followed the Lord in believer's baptism. It was a testimony to everybody who wasn't there at that occasion so that they would know we made a verbal profession. Now visibly we're making it to all of you that we are following Christ. I have died as the old man. I have been raised to walk in newness of life. My faith is in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. But now our profession is made verifiably through our testimony. You see, anybody can speak with their mouth. And anybody can go through a ritual of baptism. But James said, faith without works is dead, being alone. The only way you're going to know the validity of my faith is by watching how I live. And I have a responsibility to hold fast the profession of my faith. As you look at my conduct, as you listen to my conversation, as you watch my commitment to the things of God, every one of those things ought to testify what he said verbally and what he did visibly are verifiably proven in his life as he holds fast that profession without wavering. Now notice our pattern. You say, well, how do I do this? Look at the pattern. For he is faithful that promised. Just as Christ is faithful to pardon, just as he is faithful in his presence, he will never leave us nor forsake us, just as he is faithful in his promises, likewise, I am to reflect the image of Christ in my life, and I should be faithful in all spiritual things as I follow Christ. I have a responsibility of maintaining closeness. I have a responsibility of manifesting commitment. But then thirdly this evening, notice verse number 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I have a responsibility of mindful consideration. You see, I have to understand this. After all God has done for me, the truth of it is it's not really all about me. It's not about my convenience. It's not about my children. It's not about my comfort. God has saved me and done this for me. And God wants me to think of others. Let us consider 
one another. Why do we consider one another? Well, the purpose is found in verse number 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love. Everything in my life ought to be geared to provoke a fellow believer to have greater love, greater love for the Savior, greater love for the Scriptures, greater love for the sanctuary, greater love for the saints, greater love for serving God. Everything I do ought to be done so that I can provoke you to become greater in your love. Everything you do ought to be done in a way that would provoke me to greater love. Can you imagine what a church we would have if every one of us undertook that as our mission? When I go to church tonight and I sing, I'm going to sing in such a way as to provoke someone to love God. Amen. That's one of the greatest things about setting up here beside Brother Martinez. He'll sing and it'll provoke me. And then I'll say something to him and it'll provoke him. And we're just up here provoking one another. We think of the word provoke in a negative term, but really it's a Bible term and it's a good term. It's to encourage, it's to motivate someone to a greater love for the things of God. Not only do we provoke them to love, but we provoke them to labor. To provoke them to love and to good works. When someone looks at my life, they ought to love God more and they ought to want to serve him in some capacity, being provoked by what they see in me. That's my responsibility. Now, how do we do this? You say, that's our great plan. I'd like to provoke somebody to love and do good works. Well, look at verse number 25. Here's the plan. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We do it two ways, and I'm finished. Number one, by our companionship, the assembling of ourselves together. Oh, could I just say, I'm glad I came to church tonight. During the song service, I've been provoked to love and to good works. I mean, as I, as I heard the singing, as I watched your faces, as I saw people lift a hand, as I saw tears run down a face, I said, man, I, I love him more. Look what he's done. Look at the lives he's changed. Look how he's touched that heart. Oh, I love him more. I want to do something more for him. You see how we did that? We did that by assembling ourselves together. Not only by our companionship, but by our conversation and exhorting one another. You know, I wonder, I wonder if we don't often fail because we fail to talk of spiritual things. We talk about the weather, we talk about sports, we talk about the political situation, we talk about taxes, we talk about government, we talk about our aches, our pains, our ailments. But how much do we talk about Him who loved us and gave Himself for us? Some of the dearest friends I have are men who simply call me and here's what they say. You know, I was looking in the Bible today, and I saw this. You know what that does? That provokes me to love and to good works. And I want to be that one who will pick up the phone and call my brother and say, I was looking in the Bible today. I was thinking about the Lord today. I was listening to this song today. And notice what the words say. Could I just say, we have a responsibility to do that? 
You are my responsibility and I am your responsibility. Paul or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews has spent the first 10 chapters recounting the blessings that they have received. Now he says in light of all the blessings, here's what you need to do. You have the responsibility to maintain closeness. How's your closeness with the Lord? You have the responsibility to manifest commitment. Can others see the profession of your faith visibly lived before them? You have the responsibility of mindful consideration. Are you provoking one another to love and to good works? That's our responsibility. In light of what God's done for us, it's the least we can do. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.